welcome to my dear sister, doula, mentor, mama hero, Karis, the woman behind the Sunshine House show. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Majestic uh, presentation. <laughs> Super honored to be, be speaking with you tonight about all topics on life and birth and death and motherhood and love and everything that will come up <laughs> and i would like to i would like to start with i would like to start actually with my experience with you being my doula the woman who's been on my side when my first daughter leo was born in sunshine house Mm -hmm. I remember making a little poster for you, exoticbirth.com. Karis, <laughs> <laughs> can you, you know, just give us, give us a first shot on your connection to birth that, you know, when the door swings open for mothers to birth themselves, babies to come into the world. Mm. Yeah, I think my take on birth is kind of altered over the years um, with my personal journey and with assisting other women in their process. And now what I really come to understand is that birth is not necessarily being pregnant and giving life to an actual baby through the portal of your yoni. I realize that life is a constant birth and death process. And this is what I've been working in with lots of women at the recently is following the sacred map of womanhood, which is basically the nine stages, uh, which are pretty clearly defined by like menstruation and menopause and childbirth and death and birth. And each one of these stages in our life is an invitation to die. And it's the dance of death that we hold as we transition into the next phase of our life as a woman, and we are then rebirthed or actually birthed into a new being. And I feel like as we transition in each of these stages, we have this kind of dance where we go two steps forward and one step back. It's not just the clear definition of one day to the next that actually, okay, now I'm a woman, or now I'm a teenager, or now I'm gray and old and wise. It's almost like this, this, this foxtrot, two steps forward, one step back. I'm going there, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going there, I'm not quite there yet. I, I'm there, I'm more than I used to be at, now I'm there. And is this phase, this journey, where we can call it the half girl, there's a traditional indigenous story which talks about a girl who's just got half of a body and she goes on a big quest around the world to find her other half. And she comes back to the village then whole and they're ready to meet her. And I feel a lot of mirroring in the story in each of these stages in our life. And this is what's the most interesting for me in when you say the process of actually giving birth to another human being in this world is this dance that we go through to letting go of what was and embracing what is and what is going to become of us as we transition into motherhood and birth is a portal for that and I feel like 
each time I assist a woman in this journey, it is a facilitation of death to what was. And I think until we can understand this collectively, when we give birth and in any stage of our lives, we will always be clinging on to what was and we will not be able to embrace what we are destined or our soul is awakening to becoming. And I think this is the biggest loss of our society is that we, especially in the Western world, is we don't have this tradition anymore of ceremony. We don't have this honoring of rites of passage. And what we can see when we do these rites of passage and when we are celebrated and seen and honored and allowed to be something different than what everybody once knew us as we were, and everyone around us can embrace the change in seals, then our soul is given that go ahead, that green light to move on. And the only constant thing that we know about life is change. And we all cling to the what was. All Everybody puts us into a box of who we are and how we should be and how we should behave. And this is the biggest obstacle in our life and then this is mirrored in labor, in the birth, in the pregnancy, in the early years of motherhood. And this is something which has been evolving in the, in the work that I've been doing because I've not really been in the birth room a lot recently. Um, mainly because I'm quite aware of my own personal limits of having a small child, like she's five now and, and two teenagers and all the other countless amazing daily interesting things that come in my life um, and which preoccupy, preoccupy my time and also you know writing a book and developing courses and managing um, yeah different aspects of just just being a working uh, woman and a, and a mother um, I realized that this aspect of having a conscious death to the old self is just as important as assisting a woman in her labor. And I've been doing a lot of rites of passage with young girls, with just different phases, doing closing ceremonies for women postpartum to have this actual closing of the maiden and opening up to the mother to allow them to grieve because with every death, there's, there's this period of grieving. There's a period of loss, letting go, and until we let go, we cannot fully embrace the next step. And then we realize that we're at death's door and we're old and we're white and we're gray and we're brittle boned and we're waiting for that reincarnation. And we have so many fragmented parts of our soul left behind because we never really allowed ourselves to transition and to prepare to have a conscious death. So this is the work that I've been doing I don't know if it's gone in the right way answering your question. <laughs> there is there is no there is no right way. There is no right way. I um it's so deep and as usual, so wise <laughs> and so fitting also to uh, what's happening in my life at the moment. And um I've always been uh craving this ceremony so much and it's just like you say in the western culture it's just not 
uh, present anymore. And I, especially in this like rural kind of place in Germany where I am, where most of the people have left religion, like they have left the Catholic or, um, you know, their, their, uh, their lineages, but there is nothing other that can close the gap between what we are as a consuming human being that is like bigger than than the consumption of uh, you know economics, mm-hmm. and so um, what is left what is left behind is that we're so we're so hungry we're so hungry and it, I think it it feeds that economic system even more because we're left so hungry and we just can't we just can't still that and. Um, the especially motherhood, I mean, the birth itself, the first years of motherhood are so profound and intense in the changes. Mm-hmm. But what I've been seeing in my own work as like in, in the postnatal work is that the changes within the relationship, the changes that the woman undergoes when she becomes a mother and the changes of the father seeing the woman changing so completely and having no ceremony no guide no conversation no no depth to understand what is happening and also just like you're saying that permission and that rite of passage that someone holding space for them to allow them to also let go of who they were and so there is a lot of conflict in there a lot of conflict and it's really painful because there is so much misunderstanding and so much just like you're saying clinging clinging Mm -hmm. to what was and i just for me it's the same when you just spoke I, i remember so clearly in the first years both of my children first years of what i was searching who so much for the Julia who I was before I became a mother. Mm-hmm. And it was and quite painful to realize that she's gone mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, she's still there, but so transformed. And so it's really about that embrace of mm-hmm. the new and also the coming, right? Just like mm-hmm. you said, like what there is still mm-hmm. more than the present version mm-hmm. of me. And what is the interesting you say about the couples and the relationship which suffers in those early years is because, well, where is this woman that I that I married that I wanted to be the mother? Like, where is she? Oh, she hasn't slept for two years. She has milk all over her, every top that she wears. She's covered in, you know, different colored uh, kinds of vomit and undigested food and she doesn't take care she doesn't even brush her hair when did she last shave her legs I mean like really but I'm still attracted to her but she's not that interested or whatever it might be or I'm not attracted to her and she is and she feels low self-esteem because I'm not or whatever it is and what I feel is that there's no tribe to hold this unit together and if there would be, like if everyone around would say, would, would hold this mother and mother the mother so that she could be a great mother and receive in order to be a great transformed partner. And this couple would be 
seen by the community and embraced in their transformation that they're now having a family and this baby would be welcomed into the community and there would be support where the, the child or the baby is taken care of by other members of that community so there is time for nourishment because what's often quite lacking is self-care and this is a huge topic but unless we find a way to connect with self-care as women we really cannot maintain that level that is required of giving without complete burnout at some point especially when we have multiple children so we're having we're talking about multiple births physically emotionally we're talking about years of responsibility and quite often very little break and and the guilt that comes with the break you know let's not forget that one um and quite often what we're dealing with is a huge lack of understanding self-care and first of all getting over the hurdle that it's not being egotistical to take care of ourselves but it's actually a necessity to hold the family together and to hold the man quite rightly in the place that he needs to be held in you know let's not forget that he undergoes a transformation not only her but him too and this needs to be honored and seen and he then is to suddenly faced with responsibility and care and providing and being whatever it is he always thought a father should be whether it's copying what his role model was or doing the opposite of what his role model was or what everybody else is doing in society he still has going is going through his own transformation so what we have here is a whole kind of mosh pit of things that are changing and nothing is holding this ball of change and if if we could really allow this self care to be at the core of um our giving then our giving will come from a place um a much deeper place of resourced energy and i'm talking about self care on a daily basis on a weekly basis on a monthly basis on an annual basis and that can change and i'm talking about very simple things like brushing your teeth uninterrupted getting the chance to floss between each tooth and that might be your daily self care it might be breast massage just taking some oil for 5 minutes after you get out of the shower and just really caressing your breast because actually they've worked a lot if you've been breastfeeding and they need that nourishment and this is also your heart center so how to connect in this area of your body it might mean you putting your favorite song and closing your eyes and dancing for 3 minutes you know it it it's going to change from time to time but we need to understand what is our self care what gives us that little bit of nourishment where we can feel connected again to our soul and who we are in this changing path and who we are becoming which brings us to another uh uh very important question is also knowing how we get into the energy of calm and connect of how we get into the energy of stimulating our oxytocin levels and our oxytocin levels are the ones which allow us to live from a place of love and if we live from a place of love then it's contagious 
so everyone around us <clears throat> excuse me everyone around us can get looped into our you know circle of love if we are emanating this energy there's no space for anything else so how much and how often can we get into this loop so it's a it's a dance between self-care between getting into calm and connect and between having a support network which allows us to do that you know we don't live in tribes anymore but we need to be able to ask for support and this is one thing that i notice in women is very hard to do because in order to ask for support first we have to let go of control and when we let go of control it means that maybe things are not going to be done exactly in the way that we would like them to be done so it's just better we do it ourselves so first we need to be able to let go of control second we need to be able to be vulnerable and this is also like mother is a container and she holds the whole the whole you know everything in her arms she's got the whole world in her hands it's like mom wears my pajamas mom wears my toothbrush mom i'm late for school you know mom dad's on the sofa just like on his smartphone mom's in the bath but mom can i have a yogurt it's not dad's not asked you know like it's it's like it's just the way it is mom has a natural magnet in her womb which just knows where everyone's possessions are you know <laughs> it's just the way it is so like it's important that we can get to a place of vulnerability and to say, I don't know. And, oh my God, I need help, you know, and, and be able to reach that point because vulnerability doesn't mean weakness. And this is where our society thinks that it does, but it doesn't. It, vulnerability means I am in my power that I can ask for help, you hmm. know, I'm more, I'm more in my power than the woman who, who's burning her candle at both ends and is just going to crash and burn at some point because she carried it all on her shoulders and believed that she could, but it couldn't. Um, and also in order to, to receive help, um, we need to be able to receive. Mm. So for me, these three things of like letting go of control, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to receive are very big gifts, um, which allow us to then give in a very different way. Because I noticed that when things started to shift in my life, especially after the death of my child, I became so vulnerable and and so willing for anything or anyone to support me in whatever way. And I could only receive because I really had zero to give, you know, in this, in this phase of my life. And it really changed afterwards the way the quality of my giving was. Mm. Because I, I really felt that when I gave after this to whoever was needing it, it really wasn't coming from a place of I'm the giver. It was coming from a place of I know what it means mm. to need to receive. Mm. And I'm there to give to fulfill that need in you or to meet the need in you and not from a place of I'm a giver. And it was, it's a very subtle difference. 
But I believe that when, until we can really, 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 truly learn to receive, we really cannot give. Hmm. And I believe this, this where we went now in this conversation, just to, just to come back to where we began, is this support network, this self-care, this calm and connect, are for me the kind of foundations of allowing these early years of motherhood, pregnancy, labor, fatherhood, family dynamic change, they are somehow the foundations of allowing it to be a much more positive experience for everyone. It's, I mean, everything you said is so powerful. I remember when reading Marshall Rosenberg's book on uh, nonviolent communication, he says, um, when you ask for help, come with a Santa Claus attitude. Like <laughs> this, you know, like you bring it as a gift. You have the gift to help and you're not like oh can you just a little bit while I just and I go very quickly and you know like this kind of uh, uh, you just go like with this you get you have the gift now to 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 help me and it's going to be a win-win for everyone and I'm so grateful also you have my gratitude already like this that was a I mean it was ringing a bell for me so much um what I wonder though is I remember you saying to me, and that was a very profound thing that keeps coming back to me on almost a daily basis, is that the definition of a sacred woman is that she heals seven gener generations back and seven generations into the future with her present choices mm -hmm. on how she perceives and deals with her reality. Mm -hmm. And what I wonder in... I do a lot of work in the prenatal classes, in the yoga classes, and also in the postnatal support with working with the, the blueprint women hold from their mothers and motherhood itself, you know, like all of the net of uh, re requirements and, and, and pictures and words and values a mother has, and also with the dads. Um, and then really see like where they are as a person in relation to that blueprint that they're holding. And mm -hmm. what I see though over and over, no matter if we do these exercises, there is always that big clash with reality. It's almost like it's impossible. And I remember it for myself, it's impossible to be prepared with the truck that is you know, running over you when you become a mother. I'm like, what? and so the question is what, how do you, how do you see that? Do you think there is a preparation or is it really the container of the community that, that puts the mom together after the truck has left? Well, that's funny because this weekend, I mean, when Jaya was 13, my oldest daughter is now 15. When she became 13, I gifted her a book that I wrote during pregnancy and it was my savior because I was quite alone in my first pregnancy in Greece without speaking any Greek, very, without any pregnant women around. I didn't see any children. I was very much isolated on a Greek island and left my own devices with my Greek partner, who is male. And uh, I turned to a book and I just created a book out of nothing, just with stories and poems and letters to my baby and guidance from spirit and whatever else it was and it just became like a book 
And I gifted it to her on her 30th birthday. And funnily enough, when I gave it to her, she didn't actually want to read it. She was just like, oh, okay, thanks, mom. Recently, she started to read it. And she came to me the other day and she said, hey, mom, take a look at this page. And on this page, I had written, you know, the things I want to embody as, as a mother. And I had actually written, like, the mother I wanted to be. <laughs> and she's like, uh, look at number one, mom. I'm like, um, what's number one? And she's like, yeah, um, yeah, not to raise my voice, uh, da, 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 no matter what. I was like, hmm. And she's like, yeah, be fully present to all kinds of my children. Never forget to play. I'm like, oh, yeah, those are really great. It's a great list, Jaya, super great list like amazing like don't you think it's just like uh well yeah mom but uh what happened and i was like well you know what jaya life happened (laughs) (laughs) and i think you know i also see like sometimes things that come out of me which are a little bit like my mother even though I'm, I'm very different from my mother, there is once or twice that I will say something that was said to me that I didn't like that was said to me and I'm repeating it to my children. We all know this. All right. of us have it. This is stuff that we just, we, we, we carry. I mean, it's, no matter how much awareness we have or how much work we might do on ourselves, there, is, there are just some things that just are. But I think the most important thing is to be aware of them. And to be, okay, yeah, that was that, that was that. Instead of just allowing this pattern to, to unfold and, and be. And when you say, you know, you talk with the women in the class about what's their blueprint of a mother and carrying the, the generations behind us and what do we want for our future, we have to remember that it's like tiny steps, you know. Mm. We can't change the world in one day, you mm. know. And we need to be soft and gentle with ourselves and we need to go over and over again just the word forgiveness Mm. because what is meta for me what is loving kindness for me is loving kindness going to that list of the of the mother I wanted to be and going oh my god and I'm gonna get a big stick and start thrashing myself oh my god I, I, I didn't make it you know and start to feel guilty or is it okay big smile on my face that was my naive reality of what I could be and what I wanted to be my reality is I'm something different, but hey, it's really nice to see that list again because it makes me a little bit remember, oh yeah, okay, maybe I can refine a few things. And I feel like it's a constant dance. Mm-hmm. It's a constant dance and it's a constant check-in and it's a constant uh, questioning um, of awareness of where we're at because it's it's always gonna change and we you know i'm not the same mother i am with my five-year-old now than i was when my 15 year old was five Hmm. you know i'm a very different mother now and what we have to remember as we go through life um it's a constant negotiation it's a constant choice it's a constant change it's a constant something that is demanding of us to step up to each and every challenge and new uh, opening in our life. And whether it's changing business, moving house, having a third or a fourth child, changing partner, moving country, changing job, whatever it is, is just part of, again, this, this um, questioning again in each moment that we make decisions and again, seeing what am I carrying? What is not mine? 
what from which place am i coming to make this choice where is my full body yes where is my full body no what is my blueprint of what i want it to be and what am i and i think if you can just bring this up as planting a seed inside of these women there are some fundamental patterns that are so hard to shift you know i've got them you've got them we can't expect our yoga students to have them too you know like oh you're going to be free of all of that there's we, we have to never underestimate the the planting of a seed mm. and then you know of course it's up to this other person to water that seed in order for it to become a little root which then becomes a flower but there's a lot of work that needs to be done before we can smell the scent of that flower mm. and i think that we don't we cannot underestimate all the little steps that go towards that because you know there's definite moments where i've gone into complete breakdown and crash and thought how the hell am i here again i thought i'd worked enough on myself that i'm not going to get back in that hole again oh but there i am and i remember one devotee asking ama in satsang in india and he said to her ama how do we know really when we're making progress spiritual progress and ama said to him you know spiritual progress is not really something that can be measured but maybe every time you're faced with a difficult situation just see if it's lasting as long as it used to mm. and i like that answer and it's quite often with me like like if i think about 10 years ago when i would have a similar crisis about a similar thing mm. how fast am i able to move on and i mean really move on not just escape from it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i think we shouldn't underestimate small steps you know towards mm -hmm. becoming and not to be fixed on what it is that we want to become either because we have to respond to what's around us mm -hmm. and what's realistic without being too goal orientated or too driven by the way we want things to be and the way we want to be because like you said the truck comes over you and it's a big slap in your face and it shows you ah who you really are actually mm. and it's maybe not necessarily who you want to be mm. so again it's acceptance and self acceptance brings us to this place of self love self love brings us to this place of self care self care brings us to this place of being able to give and radiate all those qualities that we want to embody Sounds so easy. I've got it all under control. Sounds so easy. And I just, I, I was wondering, you know, like, actually, the question that I just wanted to ask is, is answered with that. But I want to, I want to, I do want to go back because I know, I was just talking to a, a friend and colleague of mine who you know, too, Melanie, and we were talking about the doulas in Germany. And I think it's in, uh, internationally, it's a term now too, is called matrescence, is like puberty. They seen um, neuroscientifically, like an MRI scan mm -hmm. can, you know, if you take a computer algorithm over scans of millions of women, the computer algorithm can say to 100% if the brain of this woman has become a mother or not. There is a, a scientifically proven shift in the brain that happens when a woman becomes a mother. And so a lot of the things what we see in puberty actually happens when a woman becomes a mother again and in a more profound way. 
there is like new neural connections. There is a new, I mean, we know a new hormonal system. Um, and so, and they identified five um, behavioral uh, and psychological uh, components, how that shows up in a woman's life. And one we mentioned already, and I think is one of the biggest ones is guilt, guilt and shame. The, it's almost like it's a shadow of the woman. The moment the baby is born, there mm -hmm. is always guilt. Guilt of not being enough, guilt of not being there all the time, guilt of not tending to herself as a woman, guilt of not tending to her, her husband. It's all, everything is connected with guilt. Mm -hmm. What's your, and I know that you're a very practical woman. I remember in the, in when I gave birth, you say there is no spirituality without practicality. Go and pack your bag if we need to go to the hospital. <laughs> What's your, on a very practical level, how would you, how do you, how do you have women or yourself work with that? Like, what do you do? What's your ritual? What's your mantra? What's your, what do you do? Well, yeah, Julia, it's hard. I mean, I, I, I've been through phases in my life where it's been so strong. I mean, guilt has been something which has been, yeah, I mean, for all women. I just speak for me for right now. And what comes up is that I I struggled a lot with it after the death of my baby, that it was my fault. Mm. Um, I struggled a lot with the guilt around, well, protection of my already existing children they are not going to be in trauma I struggle with guilt with all the choices that I make that are for the benefit of me mm. and maybe not of them mm. um, but in the end what I've come to understand and it's been extremely big for me for the last 18 months is that we cannot protect our children from the world and from all of their life experiences. And in all the people that I've met, a lot of young volunteers come to Sunshine House and I've met a lot of people who, and I like chatting to them about their family backgrounds and the people who've come from this picture perfect, 2.2 children, home together, mommy, daddy, follow up, like, economically stable nice uh, education now on their traveling year are not necessarily the most independent interesting cultivated cultured people that mm -hmm. come to my house and not necessarily even the most inspiring it doesn't mean that there aren't any hmm. but what i'm growing to realize is there are so many ways of doing things that there is not just one way that the way that society has ingrained in us in our conditioning of the way that it should be. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to step a little bit out of that box because everyone's ready to try to make you feel guilty, especially, especially your kids. And if they can play that guilt card, then they're going to play it and your partner too 
and everyone's in on the guilt game. Mm. So, you know, it's like, okay. And even people who don't know you are in on your guilt game. So you've got all these guilt arrows coming at you. And you know why? Because they wouldn't dare to do it themselves. So there is some level of maybe curiosity, jealousy, you know, even if you just do something, it could be something very small. Your friends and the people who know you are always your biggest fans. Yay, she's doing it. She did it. Amazing, you know, because they know what, what it is. They know what motherhood is and they know you. But stepping out and doing something that you're afraid to do because of guilt takes courage. And most of us would rather stay in the safety comfort zone of, I don't want to face that I might feel even more guilty than I do already. So I'm just going to stay here. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I, I have like sometimes guilt crisis, but I just see it now. I'm seeing it. I'm observing it. I'm, I'm not diving into the story of it and I'm letting it go. And then I'm seeing what is it that is going to make me a happy carrot. Mm. and a happy caris means a happy mom mm. and do i want to see my daughter feeling guilty for making free choices in her life if i can imagine her now 35 as a mother do i want her to follow in all of that guilt that i have passed on to her and this is sometimes what I advise friends when we're talking is just imagine your daughter, mm. our age, and you're looking at her. She's not like sweet 16 anymore and the world is at her oyster and she's all around, you know, all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to experience her budding sexuality, spirituality, curiosity, education, traveling. No, maybe she's done that already. And now her patterns from you are showing up. Mm. Now she became a mother. Do you want her to feel guilt for something that really she doesn't need to feel guilty about at all? So I often use this, this one where I, I see my daughter in the future or my daughters, my son. And I also see the, the happiness that I deserve, you know, just because we become a mother and it comes with a lot of guilt anyway does it mean that it has to deny me of an essential uh, quality of happiness hmm. and this is just a question that i ask myself when i'm making choices about what i'm doing um or if I'm going to travel for a month or three weeks or two weeks or whatever, or do something that I really feel I need to do for myself. I have to juggle and weigh up, of course, always. And sometimes, yeah, motherhood comes with sacrifice. You know, we have to let go of things we just can't do. One child is sick or one child really needs us or we can't do because we've just got never-ending laundry and we just don't want to like let that go and there are moments when yeah this is but there has to be a small balance mm. 
Hmm. And also, I remember talking to one Swami in India, and he said to me, you know, when I talk to him that I want to move to Portugal and I want to put my children in a Waldorf school and I want them to have this great education and this and that. And he said to me, you know, um, I've been working in an orphanage uh, with, the two, with, with some children. And these children have, yeah, their parents have abandoned them. Their parents have uh, died in the tsunami. Uh, for whatever reason, they're handicapped and nobody wants them. And he said, and the qualities that come from these children who are in war-torn, disaster, family situations, you cannot imagine. And the qualities they have of compassion and understanding is just so wonderful, Keris. And he said, don't underestimate the quality that you're bringing to your children just by being a mother. You don't need to bring them everything mm. as a child because how will they learn? How will they learn real compassion if they don't have a little bit of suffering also? Mm. Like, so this also stays with me, this talk that I had with him this day, not that I want the children, my children to suffer, but that it's okay also. It's not my job to make them a suffering free life because you know that's just not what life is life is suffering it was the first noble truth of the buddha um but maybe it's my job to be next to them hmm. during those moments and not to feel guilty about them hmm. but it can very easily happen that the guilt is coming hmm. and, and i need to be aware of oh there's guilt there's that guilt demon okay and of course, if it's my fault and then genuinely in the wrong, yeah, I need to accept that there's some choices or there's some situations that, yeah, I have contributed to somebody else's suffering or somebody else's pain. Mm. And let me see what I can do to fix that. Or let me see what I can do to assist you in your journeys so that you don't feel as intense the pain, you know, that you're going through. <clears throat> which brings me to two like one is the um i don't know where i put, picked that up but that it was very early on when leo was small and someone said you know if you don't want anything to happen to your child then nothing is going to happen to your child what a fucking boring life is that <laughs> do you want to live that and i'm like oh my god this is is so true it's so it's so right and you know, also what you said about the, the children in the orphanages, there is a, there is a very, there is a skill set that comes with dealing with life. And I remember my, my mom, she was, she was doing something in when she, you know, in her parenting that I found in the uh, psychology books is called natural consequences. She wouldn't get involved too much for whatever reason, busy with her own life, what, you know, whatever, or just really doing it consciously. But very practical things in my life, like packing my bag for school the next day, getting ready in the morning, um, being at home on time. Very early on also in my childhood was that, you know, if you don't pack your bag to be ready for school, then you're going to leave things at home and that's going to be your 
problem when you go to school. Like, it's not mine. I've been to school. I've done my job and now it's you. And in a, it, quite in a loving way, but just not getting involved. And I, I do have to say that I did learn a lot from that. Like, yeah, sure. In yeah, a very sure. good way. And I, I, when you said that about the, um, you know, that like picture perfect children, um, I had a lot of them in my, um, when I was in like primary and secondary school, like a lot of picture perfect children around me. Mm. Um, and they had a, there was a lot of struggle for them to, in the, um, somehow they had a lot of trouble to claim their independence because so many things were done for them. Um, and in the end, and this is the, tr this is the interesting thing in the, in the end is that there is no right or wrong. As I'm on the journey of motherhood, I do come across a lot of what you said that I'm mirror, that I'm just repeating like what has been said in my lineage. Um, and sometimes I'm the opposite. And when I look at my children and I look at how I came out of the school of mothering I have gotten from my mom, there is no right or wrong. It's been to me, it's, it's been done in that one way. And I try to remember as often as I can that I have from where I am, I can go anywhere if I manage to keep an open heart and an open mind and not fall into the trap of following that one road that I have narrowed down to a certain way of it, how it has to be. And if I get to open up that perspective again, I notice that whatever has happened in my past, whatever is my conditioning, whatever has been my upbringing, I have a choice right now. Mm. That sacred woman choice. Mm -hmm. And I have much more when I do my meditation and I step on my yoga mat and I've done my self-care. There is much more choice than when I don't. Mm -hmm. um, and that brings a lot of allowance to be the mom that I am. It doesn't work all the, all the time. You know, when we come back to that guilt trip that moms mm -hmm. ride all the time, when I do manage to come into that perspective that it's okay, and my children are going to have their own path of unfolding and undoing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's okay. Wait till they become teenagers. It, well, I, I, I don't, I'm, we're going to have another <laughs> talk then. That'll be another talk. Yeah, because you realize that whatever it is that you do, there's always going to be something that you did wrong. You know, so this is where the whole guilt thing kind of seems a little bit like useless in a way, like when you look back at it, because whatever it is that you do, there's always going to be something that you're just going to be blamed for. You know, I remember having this conversation. A friend of mine's father, he had lots of different women and the mother stayed there all the life and he was off with different women. And this friend of mine had a very bad relationship with his mother and a great relationship with his father. And I understood after a while, he was just punishing his mother for what his father had done. Mm. Because 
it's just so easy to and I watched how he made her feel guilty for every little thing and still she was an old woman and still being made to feel guilty for whatever she did and it was just some pattern behavior that they got in that she took on the guilt she gave space for it she allowed it to happen because already she had it there because she felt guilty for this thing that this child had had to go through but it wasn't from her actions but she was the one who had to deal with it and I I sat with this for a long time and I said you know no matter what we do Hmm. we're always going to be blamed so we may as well just do what's good for us and fuck it you know (laughs) we're always gonna we're always gonna get the shit you know, if we go right or left or straight on or backwards, whatever, if we're, whatever we do, we're going to receive it at some point because also as the quest of a teenager is to actually find what their true soul purpose in life is. If we could understand teenage years, that's, a, that's what it is. And in order for them to find that, they need to rebound off what's around them, notably what's coming from their mother and father and society. And, you know, that's when we see all the teenage rebellion and we see whatever it is, because they're just trying to find that, that bouncing, that echo. Where, where can I go? Where does the sound reverberate back to? Who am I in all of this chaos? And who are my parents and who do I not want to be and whatever it is, you know, and they need to find at the end of that tunnel, their soul purpose and their soul journey, you know, and if we knew how to hold them in that, then it would be a lot different than just having the head to heads Mm. all the time. And when they come out of that, they will always look back and see the thing that we did wrong. But what you just described is a very subtle thing. And I'm very curious because I'm, I mean, Leah's only turning nine, but those, we have a lot of against, you know, that, that what starts when they come close to the teens, like the pushing against and the, uh, a lot of the autonomy, like there is this next phase of big autonomy and them wanting to do things themselves decide for themselves go for themselves um nine-year-olds it's called and it's very common in nine-year-olds so what do you and i um and i notice very strongly just also what you said that uh, now that i'm not in my traveling years anymore and i'm home and i'm like a lot of the old demons are very present for me and there it feels like every day they become stronger as my older daughter becomes stronger in her pushing and it's sometimes really tricky to catch myself and not, and as she pushes to not mm-hmm. push against, but actually just what you said, you know, that holding space, can you, is there something that you can describe that what you do, you know, mentally or like in your heart, psyche, what you say, what you do? Um, nine-year-old. Yeah, nine-year-olds is, is like, the, they call it the Rubicon in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nine-year-olds is this threshold. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an actually another, um, it's, 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 it's the second rite of passage. Would be good for, for Leah to have a ceremony. It's called a big, a 
big July girls ceremony july yeah we can do that in sunshine house yeah we can make her a big girl ceremony normally she like jumps through a hoop and she you know we would find something that is a little bit appropriate to her um but it's just basically her stepping a little bit out of this little girl and not quite yet a bleeding woman a bleeding teenager so she's stepping out and she's becoming like a big girl yeah and so usually when we step out of this cocoon of our childhood we start to open our eyes to there's an adult world there and things are not as i understood them to be in my childhood like my but there's a this again this like two steps forward one steps back so you quite often find a lot of children who are nine years old with a lot of i'm this i'm that i'm that but then maybe they have these little cries at night in bed or they're scared of things or they want to go back into bed with mummy mm. or they get out their barbie doll again or whatever it's like there's or and a lot of fear comes because yeah there's a change happening and they don't know where that's going so sometimes we have these these children who want to be all independent and know everything and go against and challenge and why do you say that because until then they believed everything we said yeah that's the way it is hey yeah we're god we know we got all the answers mom why does that do that because of that oh, okay and now it's like really how do you know <laughs> Where do you get your information from, Mom? Like, and I think it's different. You know, I, I don't think that. Yeah, exactly. So that's like them, and it's a super healthy, healthy, super healthy part of being a nine-year-old. And if you understand that, then that brings you down off your own pedestal, and that gives you less pressure to know everything. Also. And at the same time, to remember that this child doesn't know actually everything yet. Mm -hmm. So to still be someone to keep that watchful eye and to be there as a protector and to be there as a space holder and to be there to give the rules and to give the guidelines and to put the boundaries. But at the same time, to understand that she's, she's going there and then she's coming back a little bit. She's going and she's coming back a little bit. And she'll do this little dance for a while until she tries to form her own opinions her own way and then whatever you say and whatever you do it's great but you'll always be blamed for something in the end <laughs> i'm like this is it's so true but it's so <laughs> sad it's so it's like it's so and there is no way out there's no way out. Well, you know, I guess it's just the way you take it. I mean, if you're going to be blamed, you're going to be blamed and you're like, I'm going to be blamed. So what's <laughs> the point of feeling guilty? Like, I may as well just do what I enjoy. Like, well, actually, I think we should, <clears throat> we should rename motherhood into blamehood. It's just going to be a constant <laughs> blamehood until, until the end of your, of your life. And I notice it for myself. Like, you know, I, 
sometimes when I look at my life now and like who I am and my possibilities and what I've done in the past and what I, how I think of myself and the way I talk to myself, I'm still like, hey, well, of course, my mom has been like that. Like, this is why, you know, it's like, it's still there. And then I'm like, okay, no, wait a second. My mom's done a great job. I'm on my own now. I can't. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we not talk also about the shame. The shame is another whole different ballgame, but like, shame guilt blame they're all there they're all there just dying to be fed it's like little parasites like glowing in our in our being and as soon as they catch some food they're like yay party time and they can like create this whole drama in us and you know just this whole weekend i spent all day sunday in my bed crying i just have to say that you know i was in kidneys kidney pain i thought i had covid whatever you know i was in my drama and then I was in my drama, like, oh my God, what a terrible mother I am. And I went all into this washing machine story. But the great thing was, is that when we go into the washing machine and we identify with the story, if there is no integration and no space after this drama for us to sit with and see, ah, oh, what was that all about? But if we just go straight from the washing machine into daily life and we don't learn anything about it, then it cannot help us to grow. Mm. It's just a patterned behavior. But if we go into the washing machine and we go into the story and we, we indulge in some of those psycho detrimental, um, you know, self-harming emotions called guilt, shame, blame, um, we can catch ourselves after a while if we've been used to this work that we're doing and we can start to connect again with just seeing the story and understanding where is that coming from and quite often it's coming from a place of fear coming from a place of attachment and also carrying stuff from our ancestors so it's like a collective guilt it's not just my own and whatever else it might be i feel like right now we're going through a collective death i feel like the whole planet is in the birth canal that's how i see it right now that we're just in this collective death and nobody's got any idea what's on the other side just the baby as she's coming through the birth canal has no idea what's awaiting her and I feel that way, you know. So minute by minute, day by day, seeing the dramas, catching the emotions, knowing that in the end of the day, you know, we will always have something to deal with, you know, when we do when we're talking about motherhood. If it's not the well-being of our kids, the well-being of our part of their father, our partners, of our family members, of ourselves. There's all this juggling of responsibilities, you know, do they have their lunch? Did I get the shopping? What about the grocery list? Like, how is the dishes? You know, I've got to vacuum that floor. Oh, that needs renovating. Oh, I need to do my car tire just first. Yesterday I was hitchhiking on the road for three hours because I had a flat tire and I was obviously in my pajamas and so was my daughter without shoes. So we were standing on the side of the road in our pajamas, hitchhiking, and tons of men were stopping, and nobody could get my spare tire from underneath my, my car. Nobody could work it out. 
See, there was always gonna, gonna be stuff. And I remember I just sat there in my, and then one friend stopped and she said, oh, hi. And they said, hey. And she was like, I'm useless in this situation, but what can I do? And I'm like, take my kid. <laughs> and she took her and I said, take her home, get her dressed, put her shoes on and drive her to kindergarten. And she did, it was perfect. And then another friend stopped and said, what do you need? I said, I need a coat, I'm freezing. So they gave me a coat and off they went. <laughs> I had this whole string of people keep stopping. One guy stopped, he couldn't work it out. He said, are you thirsty? I'm like, yeah, he's like, give me some water. <laughs> like a whole drought. I mean, that's how it is in the Algarve. It's very, uh, you know, it's fun. It's fun, but you know, it, we have all of these things to deal with on a daily basis, you know, and I sat in my car and the sun was just coming in the windscreen. And of course I dyed my battery on my phone, so I couldn't call anyone to help me. And I just sat there for a minute and I just looked at the hill and I just thought, breathe in, breathe out. This is just another day. And at some point you'll get a tire and at some point you'll get to where you need to be and that's that's just it and maybe i'm supposed to just take it easy and just sit here in my car and wait for somebody to stop and help me and in the end that's what happened and it just kind of made me realize oh, okay i've started to drive slower as well like less of this energy of getting somewhere just to embrace what's happening and just to chill out like put nice music in my car and have like a little Palo Santo burning, it changes everything, you mm. know? Put my sunglasses, put some nice music on, go down the road, you know, slower. And because in the end, like too much of this going and going and rushing and daily life and meeting the demands of everybody, it just leaves me spinning. Mm. And I feel like there is a stage in our our spiral, our life spiral, when we look at the map of womanhood, where we are spin mother. Mm. And spin mother just means juggling everything. And then there's the next phase after spin mother is deepening woman. Mm. And deep deepening woman is when you're kind of coming maybe towards the end of your last menstruations and you're gathering a little bit of wisdom and maybe you have your first little gray hair, you know, whatever. And I feel like I'm going more towards that now than the spin mother. Like I've, I've definitely made porridge with a baby on my back and one pulling my ankles, you know, I, I've, I've done all of that. I feel like I need, I'm coming into a slow down phase, mm. but still it's this two step, one step dance, you know, mm. like, yeah, there are spins and yeah, there is slow. It's mm. just, dance as I move towards this phase in my life but yesterday was a really nice reminder of that and how I can deal with the daily daily stuff to do and also nourish myself and also take it easy so it's calm and connect self-care support like for me this is it I think we'll have to start wrapping up more talking for an, for an hour and 15. We will for sure come back. But just what you just said with the, with the spin mother is that just when I drove, I don't know for how many times I've done that for today and the past days. And I've been in my car and I was thinking, I'm going to talk to Karis tonight. And I'm just entering into this, the face of the spin mother. And I'm, I feel so 
unrooted, like super my mind. And it's always been that way that my mind really takes on the movements that I do. And I was just like, I need to ask her what I like. I need some sort of medicine for it. Like I, I need something to, to ground. And I remember that we talked often about different small rituals that we can do and that the rituals are going to change during our time of, of being a woman. And that when we become a mother, we just don't have the two and a half hour yoga class in the morning anymore. And it needs to shift and we need to shift how we approach our spirituality and our practice and our, mm -hmm. and so is, is, is there something that comes to your mind for that unrooted feeling of the spin mother? I think what it is, is to be realistic, to be realistic with what we expect from ourselves, mm -hmm. because quite often we have dreams and plans and we have business ideas and we are renovating our house and we are, you know, breastfeeding, or we are getting pregnant again, or we are taking care of our small children. Like I said, you know, this is the essence of the spin mother. And unless we can anchor ourselves, we're just going to spin out. Mm. And then we're going to act from a place of reaction, mm. you know, snap at our children or lose our temper and our central nervous system will be like, Ooh, woo, woo. so for me, what I feel like in, in, in spin mother, which is essential, but I think that you're, you're, you're quite grounded in all of that, Julia, like maybe you're just a little bit hard on yourself, but for me, spin mother is you need a lot of baths. Hmm. You need a lot of uh, ability to completely disengage and um, calm down your central nervous system um, at any opportunity. And whatever that might be for you now, hot baths is my way and I know it's yours, mm. but that, that, that might be going for a walk that might be, um, lying in Shavasana for half an hour. And this is just coming back to this daily self-care, mm. but most importantly in this one is taking care of your central nervous system mm. Yeah, that you don't go into fight or flight all the time. Hmm. And taking care with how you, how fast you do things. Of course, hmm. we can all multitask. That's what we're born to do in this phase. But we don't have to be multitasking 24 hours a day. Hmm. And that brings me, that brings me also to, there are many moments during my day, especially when the kids are around and it's like food, food times is when I realize it the most that I barely at the moment sit down and just have food with them. And it's not always mine. It's just, you know, mommy, I need a fork or I like, you know, something was spilled or I like it's all over the floor and you- Yeah, and, I know. Um, and this, but this, I sometimes have this moment, you know, where I shift my awareness and I kind of see myself from above. And I'm just like, if someone saw me the way I move through my house, they would put me into psychiatry. <laughs> Totally. I'm like, it's just total nonsense. And so I, I do, um, the bath is definitely, this for me, definitely the medicine. Yeah. And it's Whatever cool. you can do for your central nervous system. And then yeah. it's when I like when I'm with the children is something that I also like, like a mantra where I'm, where I also just verbally tell my children one step at a time, 
one set of, yes, we can get that. Just give me one second. Or how about you go and get it yourself? <laughs> and you know, the, the biggest distraction that we have now, it's a blessing and a curse in a way is our mobile phones. Mm. Agree. And that's like, we didn't have that like 20 years ago. Mothers didn't have that, but you know, we're, we're sending a message, mommy, mommy, mom, we're like, just a minute, you know, and we've got to send this message. At the same time, we're stirring the pasta, you know, and then we're, we're sending an audio, we're like these, we're, and then we're, or we're listening to an audio. And the, you know, and then it's like, there's something happening with our child and the mobile phone usually wins. And it's like, just a minute, just a minute, hmm. you know, or like, unless it's a big crisis, it's like, oh, I can't speak now, I forgot, you know. Um, and I think this contributes quite drastically to our central nervous system being quite broken. I agree. In spin, mother. I don't have an answer for that because I use my mobile phone too. And, and quite often it's a blessing in many ways that we can just send an audio. We don't have to sit and type or we can have it while we're driving and we can get two or three things on that to-do list to done, uh, done while we drive. Um, because uh, in the past we would have to go home and dial from our landline and we don't need to do that anymore, you know? Mm. So we're kind of killing two birds with one stone. But actually, I really feel like we didn't make less the work than when we had to go home and make that phone call. We've just increased the level of work we need to do. And so we've just got even more things to accomplish. Hmm. I, yeah. Yes. So this is where we're gonna where, where we're gonna um, pick that up again. Okay. <laughs> Karis, thank you very very much. Is there something is there something that you would, you know, at the core of your work, that you would like to give to the women who are listening or the men who are listening into their daily lives, hearts, heads, minds. You mean like a sentence? Yeah, a punchline. Mm. You look putting me on the spot, didn't you? Um, I think what I want to say is there is no right or wrong way of doing anything mm -hmm. and you have your own benchmark and it's your duty to find out what that is mm -hmm. otherwise you'll be continuously one step up one step down you'll be continuously swayed left and right unless you realize that ah i breathe in my belly and i understand what my way is and a continuous reassessment of what my way is brings me closer to what my truth is and allows me to walk the path of the sacred woman, which in essence is what that's what it is, 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 is a woman who is walking in truth and authenticity mm -hmm. and listening to the voice of her own heart 
her own soul and not walking away from her responsibilities, but including them with her on that journey. I, <clears throat> it does work to put you on the spot. <laughs> Very beautiful things come out of you when we put you there. Thank you very much, Karis. Thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor. And I can't wait to, uh, to hear more from you and also invite you to Germany. We'll finalize the details for the offering that is going to happen and that is going to create a space for women to tap into the work that you're doing, which is profound and beautiful and life-changing and deep and necessary and all of it together quadrupled. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Mm -hmm.